Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the Spill Your Beans podcast. Today we are continuing our series of Marvel Cinematic Universe reviews. We're doing them in threes. Last time we talked about Iron Man, Iron Man 2 and The Incredible Hulk and today we're going to be talking about Thor. Someone beeps really fucking loudly outside so that's annoying. Um, we're going to be talking about Thor, Captain America the First Avenger and Avengers Assemble. Rounding off phase one. Today I'm joined by Ben Vasher, uh, a film graduate and a worker in the camera department hello, in the industry. Hello. Impressive. I'm getting, I'm getting big names up now. <laughs> He's in the industry. He's not a film student anymore. He's doing good. Yeah. How are you doing, man? You good? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on board. A- um, absolute pleasure. It was actually really nice re-watching these, these ones mm. because I think I sent you a message um, being like, yeah, Thor, Captain America, you know, they're good. They're not really my favourites of the MCU, but I've actually had a really good time rewatching yeah, them. So yeah. I'm excited to uh, get, in, get into them today. I remember earlier this year when I kind of like did a huge like rewatch. I sort of watched mm. these and I'm like, I'm sort of expecting them to be shit. So I ended up quite enjoying them in the end, weirdly enough. And I thought mm. that was that pretty good. So yeah, no, um, I really enjoyed like watching them again. They've got a little bit of sort of charm to them, especially like I found with the earlier ones like Iron Man, I really loved like initially because it, it's so disconnected to the Marvel Universe. I'm so used to these films having so much connection. And these films do follow the same kind of vibe. Um, but we'll get onto that in a bit more detail in just a bit. First of all, though, Marvel, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, what was your first Marvel film? Do you, do you remember which one you first watched first? Marvel film? Yeah, so I remember in the build-up to The Avengers, I was suddenly like, what's going on here? I need to jump on this MCU bandwagon. And funnily enough, I think it must have been Captain America and Iron Man 1 and 2 downloaded on the classic iPod Touch 4th gen mm. and watched them mm. whilst on holiday on that tiny 3.5 whatever inch screen. Um, but I had a really good time with them. I really enjoyed them. Um, and yeah, from there, it's all been cinema experiences, if I can. Um, have you seen every one like when they come out pretty much since avengers yeah. assemble almost That's every impressive. one and i have a big love for winter soldier because that's the sort of film that started off my almost like film club friendship group when i was at school right right um so very much that 2014 to 2018 era of marvel it was uh yeah pretty consistent cinema going experiences yeah no i was kind of on and off I sort of tuned out for a bit and then came back. So I've like, I don't know, phase two was a bit of a blur for me. I didn't really see many of those. And then I came back and watched Civil War. Didn't have a fucking clue what was going on, obviously. <laughs> and then I, I stopped watching it after that. I watched the Spider-Man ones. And then Infinity War came out and I was like, you know what, I'll go and watch it. And I'll, and I'll give it, like, it's probably going to be shit. I'll see if it's any good. If I like it, then I'll go back and watch some of the other films. Fucking loved it. Really good. And I'm like, oh, that's annoying. That's actually watch films. That's right? how they get you. They, get you, the, they, they get you with the ensemble ones. And then yeah. you have to go back and watch yeah. all the solo oh, films. It's, it's annoying. But yeah, no, I've ended up doing a big rewatch at the beginning of this year. And again, going back to phase one, very interesting stuff. Very, very interesting stuff. Um, so before, we're going to talk about Thor first. Thor, the first we, Thor. First Thor. <laughs> the first Thor. Um, we're going to be talking about that before we go on our first break. But um, yeah, so Thor. When did you first see this one? What were your first initial reactions like years ago, do you remember when you first saw this? Okay, so I actually can't pinpoint when I first watched this one because I don't think I watched it in the lead up to the Avengers. I think I might mm. have caught it at like a friend's sleepover post-Avengers mm. mm. time. Um, 
when I first watched it, I don't think I really enjoyed it that much. But actually going back, I quite liked the little nuances it has because... It's charming, isn't it? Yeah, like a lot of the Marvel films now, obviously because there's such a big history and continuity to it, it feels like you've almost got to revise, you know, a bit of the story when you go into it. But this being the first Thor and mm. his origin film, it introduces you to all of these new concepts. So it actually felt quite refreshing and self-contained to was, an extent. It was very brave of them, I mm. think, to go from Iron Man and Hulk to like... Space gods. Yeah. <laughs> like I would have thought Captain America would be the next step, mm. especially with the connection to Howard Stark. I would have always thought that Captain America would have come first before that. And then Thor would have been... And almost it weirdly kind of makes sense that Thor would come right before... Avengers considering the villains Loki mm. in both so it's a, it's a weird one but you know I, I like this for what it is it was very brave and I don't particularly love the film I think it has a lot of things that I'm sure we'll nitpick about yeah. in quite a bit you know fucking Dutch angles for start um, <laughs> but I think it's one of those ones that I, I do have a little bit of love for but I try I'm, I'm also a little bit embarrassed I want to kind of keep it in it down I don't want to tell people how much I love this because yeah. it's, it's good, I like it, but I'm like, I, I know deep down it's ass. Well, I think, I think I enjoyed it more this time than when I first watched it. Yeah. Almost going back on what I said about it being a nice self-contained thing, was seeing how these characters that have evolved so much since this film came out, how they started. Like, mm. obviously we have Loki, who's just had, you know, their solo series come out. Seeing how they sort of first appeared in the MCU and what sort of character traits are the same and different, how Tom, Tom Hiddleston plays that character. Yeah. And even people like Darcy, yeah. who was in WandaVision, and it's like, oh yeah, she started out in this film and she she's existed. still driving vans. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a weird one. I, I think the characters in this film are, are interesting, but I, I think, when we can go through them sort of bit at a time, I think obviously notable performances, of course, from Chris Hemsworth and Tom yeah. Hiddleston, who are brilliant in this. Both newcomers at this point as well, quite mm. like, not like totally unheard of, but like this is kind of very early in their like career. And it's amazing the fact that they're still both playing those roles to this day. Um, and seeing how far they've come, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, specifically Chris Hemsworth, who also plays the titular character. He's, what do you think about him in this film? Because he changes a lot, especially through like... His character has changed a lot, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Do you um, prefer it then as a more sort of space god, sort of space god kind of person or... Now it's a bit more refined and humanised. Yeah, I, d I definitely prefer the characterisation of Thor now, yeah. um, particularly from Ragnarok onwards. Um, but it is quite interesting. At the start of this film, he is leaning very heavily into that arrogant, I want to rule Asgard kind of mm. guy. Mm. And kind of lacks the sort of qualities that we now know him for, I think. For Thor, Thor, yeah. Thor. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I don't know. It was interesting seeing he changes a lot over the course of this film. Mm. Um, obviously, it, the story sort of plays into him going to Earth and Natalie Portman's character sort of humanizing him and grounding him and stopping him from wanting to just go and fight. Um, so I guess I I enjoyed the sort of melodramaticness that that he had in this film. And yeah. I think there's elements of that that get carried on over to the later films. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting how much that might have come from Kenneth Branagh's direction. 
being yeah. a more Shakespearean director, leaning mm. more into that sort of, yeah, melodramatic theatreness of it almost. That's kind of what, I probably the, the best way to kind of describe this film really in the performances and sort of like that sort of melodramatic kind of style. Because mm. part of me looks at it and goes, oh, like some of it is played for laughs. Like when, when he smashes the like mug, another, I love that, that's great, that's, that's a lot of fun. But like, it's, <laughs> the, like a lot of it's not played for comedy in, in a weird way. And I don't know, that's the one problem with this film is I feel like it has a lot of good ideas that maybe could have been done better with uh, different people behind the wheel almost. Mm. I think the, the concept of like, um, like a man falling from the stars and, and having to you know, blend in with, with Earth and all that sort of thing, I think it works really well. I think where this film almost falls apart a little bit, weirdly, is actually its connection to the wider MCU. Okay. For me, at least. Um, which is not a common criticism, but the idea, I think, with bringing in S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Coulson, and Hawkeye, who does mm. like nothing in this, he just <laughs> goes up a crane, he aims and then doesn't aims. do anything, and it's like, why? Um, but like, it's I don't know, it, 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 it's an interesting one. I just for that, for me, it's sort of when it connects it to the, uh, the wider world, it feels less like the kind of traditional superhero film that I like to see. I yeah. love superhero films and the way they've sort of changed over time, but like. Iron Man had this, re even though with the connect connectivities and stuff, and even in Iron Man 2 where they had like the uh, caps like shield and stuff, like th little things like that. With them and elements of Thor, you kind of get the sort of um, early Spider-Man film impression where it's like, it's sort of its own thing. It's quite warming. It's its own story. It doesn't have to connect or hint to something else. Um, and part of me misses that. Yeah. Part of me doesn't, because I feel like the Marvel films in the new context with just interconnectivity are better. Mm. However, looking back then, I'm like, oh, I wish this film didn't have that S.H.I.E.L.D. involvement and could have just been its own story about like a man falling from the stars, falling in love, having to better himself to defeat his demons. There's a really good story in there. It's just a shame it's hidden underneath a big pile of like what I could only describe as shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I definitely, I see what you're saying there, because... I think it's quite interesting the way it sort of opens up almost in a sort of horror paranormal vibe when they're in the van chasing the storm, yeah, yeah. tracking it down. It's all very like close up shots, handheld camera, lots of energy going on. And yeah, you have made me think like, would it have been a better film if it was just um, Natalie Portman and, and those characters and Chris Hemsworth rather than the rest of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. coming in mm. and if it was them discovering like, who this alien almost is. But their involvement is interesting mm. but it's unnecessary almost. Even having any sort of outside force. I like the fact that it's so isolated in the middle of the desert like this little town. That works so well. This gives me the vibe of a film that would have been like really good in like the late 80s early 90s. A bit like sort of labyrinthy where it just accepts that it's really weird. And, but doesn't try to be like gritty and re like realistic about it. He's just like, a man from the stars has fallen from the sky and now he has to learn his lesson and then he fights a big metal creature at the end. It's like, it, yeah. it feels a very traditional kind of story. Lots of classical themes in it. Yeah, yeah. When, you, when you sort of like go through it, it's a very simple story and it's a very, like, it's a story you've definitely seen before and, and probably done better and worse in a lot of different cases. I think that's the thing for Thor. It has a lot of, great ideas in there that could have really worked but I think 
only because of the time that it was made. I just don't think it works in conjunction with the other films that, like around that time. Yeah. Like, when did this come out? Like 2011. 2011. Like mm. that's mad. There's definitely a charm to it, um, but yeah, no, I I think I do agree with you that there are lots of concepts within it which, if focused more on on their own, could have been interesting films, and perhaps. Mm. It's juggling, it's still at that early phase of Marvel where it's trying to juggle lots of different ideas, set up future films, and also get its own story out there. Yeah. Where perhaps it doesn't hit all the marks as it potentially could do. I think that's where Marvel does kind of fall apart for me generally, and especially in future films. It's like the big, spectacular, come together films are always the best because the other films are. A little bit bogged down with that sort of thing and this is a sort of separate thing i know you haven't seen shang chi but this is the kind of problem i have with that where it's like it's so connected it has to it has to fit so well within the continuity of like 25 odd films beforehand that it's it it's almost it holds back from telling its own story even though shang chi almost sells itself on doing that and i think it would have been nice to see and think is thought is very much its own story but it's got that sort of early mcu essence of like you can see they're trying to weed it together and like at the time, I remember everyone was like, kind of about that, kind of like, can't wait to see what they're gonna do next, like an Avengers film that's insane, that they're able to like pull that off. Um, but yeah, no, I think in terms of characterization, though, looking at certain people, I think the I, I'm not too keen on Natalie Portman mm. as Jane Foster. I never really was, um, and you can kind of see why maybe she didn't come back for Ragnarok. But then again, she is gonna be in back. Love and Thunder. Um, as a sort of fem- is it female Thor or is it just like I can't remember what the official character name so. is or something yeah, like yeah. that I, well it would definitely be interesting how Taika Waititi's direction plays mm. off mm. her character um, for sure but I feel like his style of directing anyway and his aesthetic and his vibe the, the, what the life that he breathed into Ragnarok probably would have been perfect for the other films as well mm. in a weird way it's like this film especially I mean, I'm not even going to get into the Dark World because I can barely even remember. I do not, yeah, I do not remember anything I, about Dark World apart from Christopher Eccleston and Greenwich. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> I watched it earlier this year and I can't remember. I couldn't remember it about a week after I'd seen it. Two days, maybe even like an hour. I like, it's a very forgettable film, and I think. <laughs> I love all these little sounds like in the background. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. No, I think with Thor One, it definitely has that vibe where you could have had a sort of retro 80s kind of vibe to it it's a shame that that probably wasn't as hip back then in like 2011 it could have it took a few more years but i feel like if thor was like the first thor was made now it would immediately have that vibe like the rainbow bridge and all that sort of thing it would have lent so heavily into that sort of it is interesting how different some um elements of thor that are still in the films now look for example Mm. like you said the rainbow bridge I, I was watching and I was like, wait, so this this is what it looks like before Ragnarok? Because yeah. if I remember Ragnarok, it's it's almost like a rainbow road yeah, sort of Mario yeah. Kart track. Yeah. And in this, it's like this glass um, thing with energy running through it. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting how the designs have evolved. Yeah, of Asgard generally and like char- again, like characters and how they look and how they come across. Um, I've always hated Thor's friends. I think they're annoying. And I, and I, I despise 
I just despise them. They're not actually in this much, though, are they? They're not in any of the films much. That's the problem. They just sort of rock up, and you're like, "Oh, these guys! I love these guys. I fucking hate these guys. They're so like, they're just for me don't add anything to the story, yeah. bar like a, a pre-warning of Loki. But that could be done through like a signal or something, or like a letter. Mm. You don't need. Oh, I don't know. But like, it, that's the sort of. Thing. There's a reason they were all killed off in Ragnarok again. Um, I didn't even remember that they were in Ragnarok, to There's, be honest. Honestly, it's really funny. One of them sort of standing outside the portal um, when Hela comes through and she just throws a knife at him and he just drops to the dead. They're just gone like, straight Different away. actor as well. Different actor plays him because probably you the original one didn't fancy coming back. Just kind of brush this under the rug. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. But I'm sort of just like, this film is a weird one for one because it has so much to it where I'm like, this is like, you know, there's a lot here. There's stuff to talk about here. There's like, there's a lot of interest, there's a lot of setup, there's a lot of ideas that work really well, but the execution mm. just ain't it. Well, for me, I think my favourite moments of it is the dynamic between Thor, Loki, and Odin. Also, mm. can we talk about Anthony Hopkins being oh, in this? Anthony Imagine Anthony Hopkins being cast now in a Marvel film. I feel like that would be like quite big news. Whereas back yeah. then, because it was Kenneth Branagh as well, it almost feels like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. You yeah. know, they, they can get Anthony Hopkins now. I don't know, maybe he would still do it, say yes to that sort of I thing. I don't think they could afford him now. <laughs> That's probably why they killed him off in Ragnarok. Mm. Although I do love his performance in these films. I, he, like, he's not... Anthony Hopkins is a phenomenal actor and he's definitely reining it in here. It's not his best performance by like a, a country mile. But what I do like about his portrayal of Odin in all of the films that he is just old, angry, shouty man. And I yeah. quite like that. Uh, goes for a nap for half the film. Yeah, oh yeah, that as well. Just sort of gets a bit tired and fucks off. And it's like, uh, yeah, a lot of that sort of stuff is very like traditional kind of fairy tale almost. I'm not really too keen on that. I think like, again, like the whole thing of falling asleep and yeah. It, it, do, you, it, do you like the, the Loki Thor rivalry? Because that's obviously something that is set up in this film. Yeah. And has continued throughout pretty much all of them. It's sort of I still think there it's, now. I think it's believable in this. I think it's really good. Again, carried by Tom Hiddleston and Chris Hemsworth's performances. I think it's one of the things that's always worked about the Thor franchise. You know, even in the, the worst times in like the Dark World, that's still done well. Like, the yeah. relationship between the pair is always like enjoyable and it, it's great it's good to watch because you sort of there is a bit of camaraderie there but there's also you can tell there's a bit where they do hate each other as well and I think obviously it changes film by film but as an introduction to the concept it works really well and I think mm. it, it lands it's sound I did find yeah. it quite interesting though I'm just making all the noises <laughs> in this uh, I did find it interesting though like the start of the of the film obviously has that little flashback prelude where you see them as these young brothers and they seem yeah. to be seem to be kind of friends and even like towards the start of the film still when thor is about to be um put on the throne like knighted, i don't know the united or whatever, or whatever yeah. You still feel like, obviously there's rivalry, but you still feel like they get on, they're friends. Yeah. And then Loki suddenly like twists and then starts obviously causing mischief. I don't know, yeah. some aspects of it kind of felt very rushed. Obviously like there's the whole moment where he, kind of, yeah. he finds out he's half frost giant or whatever. Mm. Um, and that sort of builds into his character and his spite towards Odin. 
But yeah, some of it did feel quite brushed over and I think I would have been more interested to yeah. to lean more into that brotherly dynamic and where things sort of went wrong. It's an interesting one because I feel like there's a lot of elements of this film which are, like as you say, feel rushed. But I think it's... I have to respect how much they did get right considering because although Ragnarok is obviously like a better interpretation of the characters, it really takes it in the right direction, it still uses all the initial concepts set up there. It's basically... The comparison I make is it's like what like Ragnarok is to Thor 1 and 2, like Clone Wars is to the prequels. It sort of builds Love off that. what's already been there, but makes it better. And you have to admire the foundations in this, the designs of the characters. It is set up quite well. My only thing with this is that there's a lot of fantastical ideas there. And if I wasn't already familiar with the character of Thor by the time I watched this, um, at least for the first time, I, like... I wouldn't have had a clue what was going on. There's so much in there. Like, even taking, like, not even thinking about Loki being half, like, frost giant. Like, going off all the other stuff from there and then actually thinking of that as well. There's loads of stuff in there. Fantastical concepts. And I know that's what Thor's good for, but, like, going from Iron Man to like, Hulk and then going, okay, now Space Gods, one of them's a frost giant, there's nine realms, they're all, like, doing their thing and what, it's weird. Yeah, it's quite a big... It is quite a big jump. It's kind of looking back. It yeah, it is probably the most out there film in terms of the Avengers, where you have all these kind of contemporary present day mm. characters. Obviously, Captain America, perhaps not. Um, and then suddenly, this god from Asgard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is yeah. You have got to respect almost in a sort of Guardians of the Galaxy way how well and quickly they were able to integrate those characters within the sort of standard uh, world, earth-based stories. Yeah, and, it, and it worked as well. It works, as we'll talk about when we get to Avengers, the the gelling of these characters and their you know universes do work well together. I think Thor was just a very brave one to do as your third character to introduce, like your third Avenger. Definitely. I would have thought it would be much easier to do a Black Widow film or like a Hawkeye film than have them be the side characters. But then at the same time, you couldn't exactly have Thor as a side character. You couldn't have a Black Widow film where he just comes in with a hammer at one minute and then fucks off. Just, like hello, here's a little lightning strike. Yeah. Goodbye. <coughs> well, you couldn't um, really get away with that. I think you might have touched about this in your part one podcast on mm. MCU, but it is quite interesting watching these earlier films again and seeing, obviously there's a lot of elements that have been carried over, as you were saying, in terms mm. of the Thor films, but also seeing almost how much more creative control and uniqueness they look uh, compared to the rest of the MCU now. Obviously, we, we were talking about the Dutch tilts and these creative decisions <laughs> that Kenneth Branagh and the cinematographer, I did write down the name Harris. I'm not going to try and pronounce the surname. My apologies. <laughs> but they're, they're close collaborators who have worked together on numerous films now. Mm. And I feel like a lot of the MCU films... Today, they get a director, they get a cinematographer who haven't worked together and they give them the formula and they do their thing. Whereas yeah. this feels almost very much still a Kenneth Branagh film rather than an MCU film. That's true. That's true. I'd, 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 I'd agree with that. I think with you're totally right with future MCU films. And it's in, in a good way and a bad way. Like, um, <coughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> choking my sentence there. Like, Thor is a film that I'm not too keen on in comparison to a lot of other more formulaic MCU films, then I do look at it and go, well, actually, I do appreciate the originality of it, the, the uniqueness of it. I watch Thor, you feel like you're watching a totally different film, um, which I really like. Because then, 
I don't know, in a, in a weird way, when you when you combine the like these different styles, that can that, even that in itself can be more interesting. Um, like Avengers feels weird. Mm. Feels weird that they're all in the same universe. Like when you watch that, and I, I quite like that with future MCU films. It's it works because it's supposed to work. It's been designed that way, you know. As much as like even we'll get Spider Man stuff in the future, but like I love Spider Man. I love the Spider Man films, even in the MCU. But I can't help but feel like they're all so heavily like ingrained into the MCU like culture, and they all build off. Yeah, is that this might be sidetracking away from our focus films? But I read somewhere that like that's part of the deal with Spider Man is that they have to have like the Sony deal means that they have to have one main character from the you know MCU in it. Like yeah. we have Iron Man in the first one, in the second one we have Nick Fury. <sighs> And now, now Doctor Strange. Doctor That's Strange. That's interesting. I never really yeah. considered that, but that makes actually a lot of sense, like legally. Yeah, <laughs> legally. <coughs> but yeah, it's always interesting how how much of these stories are sort of influenced by the ownership and the deals behind the scenes. Which is a lot of what it's like nowadays, compared to again back to these older days when yeah. they're just trying out new things. You have to respect it. That being said, like. Dutch angles and this are horrible. Really They're so, so jarring, and I think they stood out to me more now because, like we we're saying, that I feel like Marvel films have quite a well-defined look now. I'm mm. not saying I, I feel like I always see arguments on Twitter about the cinematography is bland. There's no character. Like I disagree with that. I still feel like yeah. they have character and they have a nice like visual style to them, but they definitely do have a certain amount of consistency in the way that scenes are shot to an extent and it, coming back yeah. to this it feels like that's just out the window with all these dutch yeah. angles which just feel unmotivated perhaps if they actually felt like they were there for a certain reason i'd be like oh fair enough but there's shots where there's like they're driving this little van across the desert and then suddenly it's on a tilt yeah. and then they're in a wide and it's straight and then they're on a tilt close up again and i'm like what, why, what is this telling me? Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, no. And I think it, it, you, you're, you're totally right. It's a very, it's very jarring, to, especially this one, because, I mean, obviously lots of other aspects as well, but the, again, the Dutch angles, I keep talking about it, but it's so weird after watching so many other Marvel films, going back and watching this and being like, this is, this is really weird. This I is, what is I don't feel like they'd be able to get away with that sort of creative decision now. I feel like Kevin yeah. Feige would come in and be like, so these Dutch angles, um, why? Yeah. Uh, tell me why and maybe we can have them. But if not, let's let's try and keep it, you know, play it how we like mm. it. Oh yeah, they wouldn't even make, they wouldn't even make it to the actual production. It, would, it wouldn't get past pre-production at that point with the fucking um, planning there. Especially nowadays, again, Kevin Feige, you're totally right. I don't know. It is interesting it's how he's he's obviously the backbone of the MCU and he actually produced these films, whereas I feel like now he has more of an executive producer role. He's almost like the showrunner, isn't he, of mm, the MCU? Mm. But I would be... I mean, I don't know the answer to this, but I'd be interested to know how much input he had in Thor and Captain America with the producer titles compared to how much input he has now, where it seems to be more, even more behind the scenes. Um mm. I'm not sure what I'm saying with that. But. No, but it, it is interesting because obviously things have changed, his position, but also the style of Marvel's filmmaking. And I think, interestingly, it, it might come back around again, I think, with newer films because I'm starting to get a little bit of like fatigue with it. 
the most refreshing Marvel content I've had this year has been on TV. The episodic style of it, because it's new and it's refreshing and it's different. WandaVision's been experimental. Loki was very experimental. What if their first animated project? Um, I think with the films in the future, it's going to be very telling how long this formula lasts before people start to get a bit sick of it and like kind of just see what's coming with every story. Um, but yeah, no, um, is there anything else you want to sort of say about Thor before we move on to our sort of little next little segment? Um, I'm going, having a, yeah, having, <laughs> having a little flick through, uh, flick through my notes. I think we've, I put Dutch tilts in big letters. Um, <laughs> I put ending dot, dot, dot sad. I think I was actually surprised by how much emotional connection I had with these characters. Like I said, the first time Ooh. I watched this film, Ooh. I don't remember enjoying it as much. And I'm, I'm curious whether that's more because of the connection I have with them from these, from the present films and all of the content that I've had since this film has come out that I have more of an emotional connection to them. But that moment at the end where, you know, Loki lets go and there's that whole father-son, brother's moment. Mm. Yeah, that, I actually felt quite, quite sad. I was like, oh no, I, I, no, I, Loki, I, don't go. Like, I agree, that did have quite a lot of like a, it kind of, it had a good emotional impact, I think, that sort of ending. What was the, what was the post-credit scene for this again? Because I, I can't quite remember. Is it setting up Avengers? Is it setting up Loki coming back? Oh, is I watched it. Is it, it something to do with like? I actually watched it. I'm um, feeling it must be like. Is it not like the sh the shield base or something with a tesseract and it's like him? Is it not something to do with the 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 doctor character or the the professor guy? I don't know. I saw one. So I watched this and Captain America pretty much back to back. Yeah. There's one where they talk about getting the abomination on board. And then they get stark in. It was like a one shot that played after the film. Maybe that was just my Disney Plus auto playing it. Oh, I can't think of it. That's very interesting. We'll be back after the break. Um, <laughs> I want to. I want to Google it, but yeah, maybe we can look at it later. And... Yeah, no, no, I can't quite remember. But I was more just thinking if it was Loki coming back, then the impact of that ending. So I can't remember if it's just that he's just back in Avengers, or whether that's hinted at the end of the post-credit scene in Thor. I presume it must be if they just sort of bring him back straight away. Um, before we go on a break, um, we're going to do our first segment. So da, 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 da. <laughs> We haven't actually got a jingle. I probably should think of a jingle. <laughs> <there. clears throat> so we're going to move on to our first segment, uh, which is the record spinner. Yes. Um, I ask guests to come on here and sort of nominate an idea of a film soundtrack or an individual track from a film that they particularly love or means something to them, that sort of thing, um, to sort of nominate and talk about and you know promote to people if they haven't either watched the film or listened to the soundtrack a bit more closely. Uh, we've had a lot of great picks so far, and I'm very curious to see what you're going to pick. Do you have any honourable mentions before we start? So, before we start, honourable mentions. Um, I was going to say Inception soundtrack. Because that is good. probably my all-time favourite soundtrack. Mm. Um, but I love film scores in general. And so I wanted to focus something uh, to the MCU. And so my favourite MCU album mm. is the Captain America Civil War soundtrack really? by Henry Jackman. Really? I really love this score. And I love the score he did for Winter Soldier as well. But I had to pick this one because... 
when I was studying for my exams, when I was at school, GCSEs, A-levels, whatever, mm. I'd have this album on a loop when I was studying, and it's just a great one to, to study to. Mm. I've, I, see, I, 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 I do love my film music, especially with the MCU, and I never really, I need to, I, this is a sign for me to really have a listen to that soundtrack, because I've only, only the main theme for Civil War, but other than that, I haven't really ventured into it. No, it's definitely a good one. I love the opening, the, I think it's Siberian Overture, and the sort of emotional connections that the themes of that score has with the film. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's a really good one, and one that I can always go back to. Um, definitely runners up, like I said, the Winter Soldier soundtrack, which again, Henry Jackman did. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it when we go into Captain America, but it's also interesting how Henry Jackman takes the themes that uh, Alan Silvestri introduces and develops mm. them and, and evolves them. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Great pick. If you were to pick a specific track from this entire soundtrack, that would be your favourite, or the one you listen to the most, which one do you reckon you go for? From the, from the Civil War one? Yeah. I think it would be the first track. Mm. the Siberian Overture just because that opening scene of the film is one of my favourites out of MCU, any MCU film mm. just the sort of confusion you have as to what's going on and then the realisation of this very dramatic scene that is obviously repeated throughout the film mm. and is almost the linchpin for the whole uh, conflict between Stark and Rogers uh, so yeah, I just love the emotional context that the theme has and yeah. the way it sort of blends into the opening Marvel titles. Yeah, that's a great reasoning for that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's fab. Well, thanks for that, that's great. Um, we're going to go on a quick break and then when we come back, we're going to be talking about the first Captain America film. Oh yeah. And then we're going to be doing our second segment, the 64K Ultra Mega HD range. Can't wait for that one. It never gets old to say. I always love saying that. I feel impressive when I'm able to like run it off. When I mess it up, it's horrifically embarrassing. Um, see you in a minute. And welcome back to part two of our MCU part two review. That's a very long-winded title, but now we're going to be talking about Captain America, the first Avenger. Again, a film that I personally kind of like, but have flaws with. Um, but I like it more than Thor. I will say that. It's I definitely alert straight away there. Definitely love it more than Thor. Mm. Um, it is interesting that they both came out in the same year, very close to each other, mm. and how much stronger I feel this is as a film. Yeah. Um, interestingly, I feel as though Thor is more consistent as a whole, uh, as a film. Definitely. As this definitely, definitely has way, it shoots in way more different places, quite literally, uh, and 
does hit more marks, but there are still aspects that could almost be developed more and do feel kind of missed out upon. Mm, mm. I think it's a, it's a weird one because this film, the first um, like hour is incredible. Like I, I love basically, I don't want to say everything up until he gets the serum, but it's kind of like that a little bit. I think he, um, like Chris Evans does a great job with the, uh, and the, the CGI team as well, may I add, like incredible how they made like that work for so long and so much of the film. But the character of Steve Rogers is so well done for that first hour. And he's done great in the second half as well. But I feel like there's a point in this film I think it, it, it's got a great balance of things, but this film kind of like takes a turn halfway through for me. It goes from something, again, a bit more emotionally rich and, and sort of, um, I don't want to say deep, but it, it's, it's very well crafted in the kind of person who Steve Rogers is and his relationship with Peggy and his relationship with Bucky and the kind of world that it builds with Hydra uh, and all that sort of stuff. But the second you get to the second half and you've got like the more far-fetched stuff it starts to get a little bit, I don't know, iffy for me in terms of its story, in terms of its character, in terms of even like the CGI and stuff. It feels like two different films crammed together almost. The start of it's brilliant for me, but the last half is good, but it, it's not like, it's not incredible, you know? Um, but yeah, what, what, what do you have to say about that? What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting you say that, and also you, how you enjoyed the first half of it the most mm. because I feel like I may have almost been the opposite where it took me a long time to sort of get past that CGI Chris Evans look really? uh, with the smaller body just because I think I'm so used to seeing him as as he looks regularly now yeah going back to pre super serum Steve Rogers it yeah it was kind of in my face a bit and mm. kind of took me out of the film because I was trying to look out for how they were doing it and any imperfections in the sort of face. Um, I, I actually really enjoy the moments with, with Steve, Peggy and Howard Stark. Mm. And I kind of wish that this film lent more into their sort of relationship and their missions together. Yeah. Because it feels like we get a bit of it with the montage sequence in the sort of middle part of the film mm. and then the big mission at the end. Uh, but it's it's something that I wish there was more of. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think there's a, there's a development which could happen there that just sort of didn't. I feel this film was carrying a lot with it in terms of what it had to do for its story. It knew that it had to end up in the modern day. So it had to do all the stuff with Steve Rogers crashing into the ice and stuff, which is fine and it's all good, but... It does build a lot. This is Steve Rogers' story. And the time frame to shine with the whole Hydra stuff was sort of um, depleted a little bit. However, you know, I really do like this film. Again, especially much more than Thor. Like, Thor is good. And we did give it a lot of praise. But I, I, even the sort of... I feel like we gave Thor the first Thor way too much praise, actually. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but now that I'm thinking about Captain America, I'm like, Christ. Like, Thor's good, but it... it it's also a bit shit. Like it, it does its trick, but it's not, it's not that impressive. It's not that out there. It's, it's also that. very contained. Like you're yeah. saying, like what, what is quite charming about it is that it's in this little street, in the desert, wherever yeah. it is, and then there's the Asgard stuff, and it's all sort of contained in those two locations. Whereas 
what is quite surprising going back to the first Avenger is all of the different locations it goes through from uh, <laughs> I can't name them but even yeah. from the military grounds <laughs> to like the forest to the Alps the Hydra bases like Brooklyn as well Brooklyn it, it covers a lot of ground quite literally just mm. in the locations um, which I think helps keep the story on a quick, fast-moving pace, uh, uh, which was quite refreshing coming from Thor's perhaps uh, slower pace. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I think it's, it's a totally different kind of film. And this mm. feels a lot more in keeping with the MCU's general theme. This feels, again, especially stuff like Iron Man, which is also built around war, but in the modern day, including, of course, you've got characters like Howard Stark, or Tony's dad, and able to use that and, and play around with that in Captain America was really interesting. Um, and I loved that aspect of it. I think Hydra's kind of where it falls apart for me a little bit. I don't really particularly like the, the style and like aesthetic that they go for. I much prefer what Hydra is in um, Winter Soldier. You know, I'm, even though like I can go on about how I'm not too keen on overly campy kind of like Nazi archetypes. However, then, if we ever talked about Winter Soldier, I'd tell you that my favourite part of that film is the, like, the mad Nazi AI computer thing, like the analog, which is, the, for me, the best part of the film. It's so, like, gorgeous aesthetically. So it's, I'm, I'm sort of two minds about it. One hand, I really like this sort of stuff, and it feels a little bit like Indiana Jonesy in a, like, sort of endearing kind of way. Um, but at the same time, it, it comes across a little bit cheesy, and I'm not too keen on the sci-fi Nazi element. That it kind of tries to bring in with a tesseract and like the weaponry they use with a tesseract it starts yeah. to get a bit it starts to get a bit lasery and a bit spacey and i'm like no i definitely mm. i definitely agree with you like the the way they played them off as this shadowy behind the scenes organization and winter soldier definitely works a lot better in my opinion and yeah. i feel as though almost like we we're talking about with thor it does have more of this melodramatic fantasy storytelling which i yeah. feel like Maybe it's just because we've got used to the way the MCU films are, but I feel like it's all integrated a lot more in the sort of real world to an extent. I, yeah. I'm sort of realising what I'm saying. But um, just yeah, no. like the whole bit where we see all those not, uh, Hydra soldiers and there's millions of them underground and they're all <laughs> saluting Red Skull. Yeah. Y you know, it. It didn't need to be that many soldiers. It could have been a smaller group, a more shadowy organisation behind the scenes. But suddenly Red Skull's got all of these soldiers. But it feels like mm. that scale, other than these establishing shots, that scale of threat is never really executed in, in any other parts of the film. It weirdly, and this is a very strange comparison, so don't like stay with me on this a little bit. Like, the final part of the film and the aesthetic that Hydra sets up, as well as the story of them infiltrating the base and kind of, like, trying to get to the guy, um, it reminds me a bit of Star Wars. Okay. In a weird way. It's like, it goes from, like, when, you know, when there's, like, a, they, they put the explosive when Steve's getting the serum and Steve chases the guy down the street. And it's very, like, of its time, very, like, Indiana Jonesy kind of, like, of its era. And then you go from that sort of thing to like named people with faces working for Hydra to loads of masked figures with sci-fi guns, you know, with this big leader 
Yeah. It has this base and loads of sci-fi ideas and they're all flying away on this sort of like ship, airplane kind of thing. There's a few little elements there where I was like, it, it, it's weird because it's what I'm saying about it being two different films almost. What, like, if this, half of it feels like Star Wars based in like wartime Earth and then the other half feels like an actual like kind of almost authentic World War Two story. It's interesting that you say that, George, because mm. did you know... Oh, is there a fun fact <laughs> Fun fact. Did you know that Joe Johnston uh, worked within the special effects VFX department of, I'm pretty sure, some Indiana Jones and Star Wars films? Bloody hell. As I well did as not know that. directing The Rocketeer. I did not know that. So, there you go. <laughs> well, that, that suddenly makes a lot of sense. And it makes me sound very clever for not knowing definitely, that and definitely. coming out with that by myself. Yeah. I thought definitely. you were going to lead into it yourself. I'm not Honestly, I had no idea. That's mad. <laughs> That's brilliant, though. But that, I can kind of see it. I get that vibe. It's got that open kind of adventure kind of aesthetic to it. But at the same time, I feel like it, the way it crams the two styles together don't always gel for me. Mm. Um, yeah. I even got almost uh, some like James Bond vibes from it because obviously a little bit, yeah. he's Captain America is almost like this agent and gets given these special gadgets. Especially there's the bit with the motorbike and he's got these switches and it lets out, you know, the cables and different, mm. you know, exhaust fire. That's a good point, yeah. It yeah. kind of reminded me yeah. very much of the, you know, traditional James Bondy gadgets. I can kind of see what you mean there. So it, it's, it's, like yeah, it's almost like a whole thing. mismatch of different yeah. inspirations. And individually, like it works. If the whole film was a bit Indiana Jones style, cool. If the whole film was a bit James Bondy, a bit cool. If the whole film was just all out weird Star Warsy kind of sci-fi authoritarian kind of, cool. But because you're trying to cram all them together, I think that's where the film kind of falls apart for me. I love the opening for what it is, but it doesn't gel with the ending. I love the, I love the ending for what it is, but it doesn't gel with the opening. And out of the two, I prefer the opening, so I'm kind of like, the film falls apart towards the last half. Even though it still works, and it's still, consi well, it's not consistent, that's the wrong word. It's the opposite of what it is. It's, it's good and it's what it does, and uh, it's enjoyable, but it's not consistent at all with the first half. And it's difficult to kind of pick a side almost. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely feels like they they were juggling a lot of things and trying to incorporate a lot of ideas. Like even for example, Bucky falling off. Yeah, to yeah. Sort of set up that Winter Soldier plot arc. It, yeah, I, I almost wish that we had more with Bucky as well, and then mm, maybe that would have. Because yeah. I love the Winter Soldier film, but perhaps if there was even more of that character in this film, yeah. then that would have exaggerate that emotional connection yeah, as an it, audience it member. It almost feels like there's more of a connection between Cap and Bucky in the feature films opposed to in this initial one, which is Definitely. really where they had to establish it, because this is why they're friends, you know? And I get that a little bit with the opening, but then, like, once... once the story sort of turns to Steve Rogers getting the serum and all that sort of thing, I don't really get a feeling that it's the same sort of vibe there. I don't really get a feeling that he cares as much for him as he does later on. But maybe that's because, you know, maybe that's development. Maybe that's because he, he lost his mate and then that's why now he doesn't want to lose him again, you know. Um, what are your thoughts on the montage section? Because that almost says, like, there was a lot that they wanted to do and so then they had to 
skip over it in mm. this in this montage. Which, Do you think it which works? Which montage or? section was this again? Uh, so when Captain America goes through sort of chasing Hydra and it has him yeah. shooting them down, yeah. blowing up tanks. I thought it was good. I think it, it, it screamed budgetary issues to me. It was like, we want to do this. We can't, but we want to. And this all happened, definitely, but we can't show it. Talking Just... about budgetary issues, it is, it is interesting how much the visual effects of Marvel have changed and obviously oh, gotten yeah. way better over time. Obviously, this was 2011, so completely different time to now <laughs> like yeah, no, a decade yeah. ago but there are certain scenes where you're like crikey that that doesn't look good even yeah, at I the know. end where um captain america is chasing is the plane called valkyrie or am i getting confused i don't the know. big the big no, plane the at the end plane, yeah. and captain america is chasing it it's this one sort of wide mid shot of him running and you're like well that's clearly him on like a treadmill running in front of a green screen yeah yeah it's there's stuff like that in it which are always a bit weird but like and I, th I think i don't think anything particularly stuck out for me in terms of bad cgi i even like the way that like red skull looked i thought that was quite impressive yeah like, yeah probably mostly prosthetics but the way with the skin peeling off and stuff was kind of weird and interesting and new um it's spooky when he yeah when he throws that rubber mask down yeah. into the flames and there's like this lingering wide shot of the mask burning up and mm. I'm sure you could analyse that like oh is his humanity burning up within and yeah, now he's just yeah. this evil Some, something like villain. that something like that yeah it's a weird one I, I what do you think of um, Red Skull as a villain for this hmm <laughs> what do I think I yeah I agree with you what you were saying about Hydra and then being too much in your face with the the war sort of vibe yeah it does it does feel strange in that I feel like that obviously they were trying to balance the enemy the general enemy of this war they're fighting being the Nazis and then the hidden enemy being Hydra and it yeah what do I think of Red Skull that's the big question. Know, yeah, he, he doesn't really have much of a character. I think in, in your in your part one episode, you and your guest, who I apologise, uh, Hawkins. Yeah, yeah, you you were talking about how the the villains of these first few films are almost mirror images, like mm. flip Uno reverse cards yeah. of the protagonist, and I guess that Red Skull also fits that category yeah, definitely, definitely. of being the opposites of of Steve Rogers and still having the super soldier but also being all of the opposite traits and yeah it doesn't really feel like we yeah. we get much out of him other than him being this evil nazi person he's a very stereotypical kind of just like nazi kind of character um it would have been interesting yeah okay there we go i have something to say on him but <laughs> it, it hints on him being interested in like the the sort of hidden magic and secret stuff with with the whole tesseract and everything and they 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 talk about him being interested in it and obsessed with it but we never really see much of that and it would have been cool to see some like weird experiments and lore going on obviously like we get the bit towards the start of the film where he discovers the tesseract and so that's quite mm. interesting and there's the old man guarding it but it would have been cool to have more stuff of that to 
I feel like he's not differentiated enough from a typical Nazi leader, if that makes sense. It doesn't feel like there's enough to, other than him being a red skull. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a cool, like, design. But beyond that, I don't really know what else it offers. Yeah. It's, it, I don't really know much about the character from the comics, to be honest. But, like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I wish they'd just done a bit more with it. But most Marvel villains of this era kind of had that same sort of issue where they're just kind of there and don't really do anything. I mean, you know, and that's a prime example with this one. I don't really feel anything either way towards this character because I don't feel like I've had enough time with him. I feel like Infinity War gave us more of an insight into the guy's character than, you know, this does. Yeah. It's a bit odd, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, it is what it is. The music's brilliant. Obviously, Alan Silvestri doing the score for this one. Yeah, lots um, of great themes. The, obviously, the iconic Captain America theme. And there's some great just general music in this that I, I, I think is, is really pretty good. Um, actually, I think there's anything else I want to say about Captain America, really. Well, what did you think of the sort of uh, characterization of Peggy Carter? Because I was actually surprised going back to this, almost how little she has to do um mm, i know like this you know you can probably say a lot about her just being like the sort of emotional driving point for for steve rogers um yeah but yeah like literally it doesn't really feel like she does much more than that and so it's cool that she had the whole agent carter series but it would have been that. nice. Yeah, I've not actually yeah, watched not it. Sure. But it would have been nice to have more elements of that in this, and that's why I think focusing more on yeah. Steve, yeah. Howard, and Peggy would have been good to help develop all of those develop characters. Those characters, especially Howard as well, who's like a big part of Iron Man's story. That would have been great to really develop a relationship between him and Steve Rogers. Um, I, I don't know. I, I quite like the way Peggy's done in this film. Obviously, I would like to, to have more. Mm. Um, but I think, again, it's one of those things where, you know, it is what it is. We got what we got. There was so much that they had to do in this film. Mm. But that's kind of where I start to dislike stuff with the MCU. Is that, like, even this early on, I'm like, Iron Man just being able to do its own thing and not worrying about what it has to set up and where it has to go. It's like, obviously, Captain America kind of has to end in the modern day. Like, it kind of has to do that. Because that's the story of Captain America. But it's almost like, I wish they just taking a bit more time so that they didn't have to set up stuff like the Tesseract. Yeah. Like the Tesseract didn't have to be in this film at all. Well, one, one but comparison... But they did, because it's like part of it, but... Yeah, yeah, it does feel like... I feel the same with Thor, that the relationships with with the love interests, obviously with, with Thor and Jane Foster, and in this one with Captain America and Peggy Carter, mm. they they all feel quite rushed. And it's oh, like, yeah, definitely, they're definitely. like acquaintance, they're friends, they're sort of getting to know each other. And then suddenly they're almost kissing or suddenly Peggy Carter is getting jealous because Steve's kissing someone else. And, and I'm like, hang on, did I miss a, like a relationship build up? It feels like it suddenly jumps. Kind of yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. That's an interesting one. I think it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the future of the MCU. Have you seen What If? I have seen the first episode, so that was obviously interesting watching this because that's yeah. the whole Peggy Carter. Well, there's, there's, there's talk about them incorporating What If into live action for Doctor Strange 2. Not sure how true some of these things are, but there's the idea being suggested that Peggy Carter could return as Captain Carter in That'd live be action. very cool. Alongside maybe um, Anthony Mackie's Captain America, which would be very interesting, very interesting dynamic. Um, 
But yeah, I, I mean, I, I, what would you think of that? If they sort of used that as an opportunity to really develop this version of Peggy Carter, opposed to the one we had in this universe? No, definitely. I think that would be great. I love, I can't remember the actor's name, but I think they're brilliant. And is it Hayley Atwell? Hayley Atwell, that's right, yeah. And I think any more sort of screen time that they have to, to develop the character would be good. Um, so yeah, no, that would definitely be really interesting to definitely. see. Definitely. And how they sort of, sort of reflect elements that we already know from the Steve Rogers Captain America and put a twist on them. Because yeah. um, be, that be is a Peggy Carter as, as well, as you'll sort of see towards the end of the series, because that, that character has come back in some way, shape or form. But by the point where you leave her in What If, this is Captain Carter at the point of where Steve Rogers was in Captain America 2 with a mm. soldier. So there's a little bit of an element of that, which is quite interesting. So, yeah, I'm not sure. It'll be interesting to see what they do with that. Definitely. Um, is there anything else you want to say about Captain America before we move on to our um, second segment? No, no. I everything? think we covered it all. Brilliant stuff. So, in which case, we're going to move on to our second segment, which is da -da -da. the 64K Ultra Mega HD range. Oh, we ask, yeah. We ask guests on this show to bring in, um, again, a film this time that they want to highlight. We do the same speech every time, but I'm going to just do it because it's, it's, it's a laugh. We get rid of Steelbook's Criterion Collection, your 4Ks, your, your Blu-rays, your DVDs, your videotapes, all that sort of kit and caboodle. This is the most exclusive range of DVD-related releases you'll ever have. And you get the lucky privilege of nominating one film that means something to you or a film you just like to this little collection. Um, first of all, do you have any honourable mentions? Honourable mentions. Uh, nah, I think we'll just go straight to it. Okay. In which Savage. case, what do you pick for your pick? I'm going to pick this. Thunderbirds 2004, directed by <laughs> Jonathan Frakes. That's an interesting film. I haven't seen it. That's You've a... not seen it? I've not seen Thunderbirds. Okay, so my so love for this sell me, film... Sell me, sell me, sell me in the audience. My love for this film, I think it's probably my first ever cinema memory. Going to the cinema in the summer on the Isle of Wight, seeing this film when I was four and it I'll probably credit it as developing my love for cinema. There's heroics, there's action, there's big flyy things, and there's people that need to be rescued, all tied up with a lovely bow with Hans Zimmer's beautiful score, which still holds up to this day. It's it's just a brilliant film. And the fact that it's only in the last few years that I realised that the director was Riker from Star Trek just adds even more wow. value to it. That's amazing. What, what, like, do you have like a sort of personal connection with this film other than being one that you sort of love when you were younger? Um, and has well, like I, a, I guess growing up, I loved Thunderbirds and I think it. seeing it in a live action form was just very magical at mm. that young age. It is quite an interesting film because I feel like a lot of classic Thunderbird fans dislike it and at the time, it was sort of titled as being this Spy Kids knockoff and not really oh, yeah. getting picked up well. But honestly, I rewatched it over lockdown with my friends and I still love it. It's still very magical for me. And I, yeah, I think the visual effects for it are really, like they hold up really well mm. for a 2004 mm. film. Like they obviously had money for it. And so I think that and definitely the music um, and seeing it at a young age in a cinema, it's just ingrained in me. Yeah. So I, it, it has to make your collection. That's, that's brilliant. That. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great pitch. It's a great pitch. I, 
I now want to watch it. You sold me on it. <laughs> I'm Definitely. very curious. I think when you said it at Thunderbirds initially, I was like, are you interesting? And then you said it was live action. I'm like, I can't even imagine that. Yeah. I didn't even know this was a thing. Yeah, well, it's definitely one. I, I feel like, like Thunderbirds was the one with the puppets. Yeah, I feel like if you're watching it without any sort of childhood nostalgia, it's probably one of those films that is a good laugh with a few pints with some mates. Yeah. And you sort of, you know, pinpick it a bit. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, it is it is a fun watch. It is a fun watch. It's got a it's got a smashing cast as well. Bill Paxton, I hope is his name, and a lot of <laughs> other great people. Um, the Lady Penelope. I I hope I'm not getting any of these facts wrong. But the Lady Penelope is the one. Yeah, Sophia Miles. It was obviously Girl in the Fireplace. And yes. Doctor Who. God, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's got a great cast. Love it. Brilliant stuff. Well, that's a great note to end on before we go on to another break. When we get back, we're going to be talking about the Avengers film, the culmination of all of these films. Brilliant. We're going to be talking about that, and then we're going to be... Amazing, that's brilliant. We're going to be talking about that film, and then we're going to be doing some hot takes and fun facts from you guys on Twitter. So that'll be fun, hopefully. And uh, yeah, so see you in a minute. See you in a bit. Okay, and welcome to part three. Now we're going to be talking about Avengers Assemble, or The Avengers, or wherever you are in the world. It has a different title, I think. It's a bit like Harry, the first Harry Potter film. A bit weird, that one. Something Philosopher's you know, Stone? Sorcerer's Stone? It's a weird one. It's a weird one. Um, Avengers. It's, this is the first ever Marvel film I watched. This um, is the first Marvel film I watched in the cinema. Amazing. I, mean, I can't remember the first one I watched in the cinema. I, just, I, I think I saw this at home on like a home release a few years later. Um, really liked it though. Loved it. Although there's a part of me which I'm gonna have to be critical about this. Oh. Because I, this isn't. I don't think it's as, as amazing as people think it is. Like it was really good at the time, but it's it's of its time. You know what I mean? Definitely. I now think that, at the time we were all just amazed that all of these characters had been mashed together. Like that, we were yeah. saying, the fact that Thor. Captain America, Iron Man, all these people from different contexts and different mm. times mm. were suddenly in the same film fighting alongside each other. It was like, hold up, what's going on here? Yeah, I think that's the big sort of selling point of it, especially at the time. I think looking back now after Infinity War and Endgame, it's like, this is just a few people, you know, it's just like, like a mini Avengers. But it's, it's cool. It, you know, it, what it does is it... it, it, it Brings together the uh, phase one like really bloody well, um, and of course the post-credit scene sets up the future with Thanos and stuff. Um, the story itself is pretty good. I'm not a huge fan of like the brainwashing stuff with Loki, but I love Loki's inclusion in this. I think he's so much better than he was in Thor. He's got so much more presence. I feel definitely, and he feels like a much bigger villain than he did in Thor, um, and I really like that. I thought it was really interesting how they were able to incorporate all the different characters and universes and styles um, and even watching it now there's a lot of excitement for it even that opening scene 
where the shield headquarters is kind of is it, does it get destroyed? I'm, I'm trying to think. Is it like sort of falling to the ground or something? Or am I just imagining that? It's been something a, like that. There's something to do with yeah. with like the big black four by fours driving into the base and then them driving out or escaping on a helicopter. Yeah, There's something, like that. Something, something like that. But it's a fantastic opening. When it cuts to that title card, it's like, oh my god, wow! And then we get straight into a first scene with like um, Black Widow and um, Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk or. Yeah, so we got a new Hulk in this film. Which is interesting. I think Mark Ruffalo's brilliant. Though. Mark Ruffalo is fantastic. He's all, he's, he, I mean, I, again, I didn't hate Edward Norton when I watched rewatched The Incredible Hulk, but Mark Ruffalo just embodies the character so well. Both the Hulk and Bruce Banner, especially Bruce Banner. I really get the sense that this is just some nerdy kid who, like, was a fantastic scientist and just had this one thing sort of go wrong. Yeah, and I can, love... Yeah. Oh, I love, well, yeah, I, I love the... The setup that that Mark Ruffalo's Hulk has, where he's almost sort of treated like this, you know, clean addict, mm. and obviously Black Widow comes along and is like, "No, we need you to to do the drug again." Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he's literally. like, "No, <laughs> I've gone clean." That's kind of the, the connotation. I think that's really it's an interesting idea there because it is a bit like that, and I, I love the way it treats Bruce Banner in this. It like. Because obviously it's supposed to be the same guy from the other film. The continuity isn't perfect, but I love the fact that he's in a totally different place here. This is a Bruce Banner who's been the Hulk for a long time, and he's just like, he's done with it. He's at the he's at the bottom, like, and he even says about a, a point where he tried to kill himself, and you know, the Hulk just spat the bullet right back out. It's quite this, dark. Really dark for like this stage of like the Avengers films and stuff, like. It's family fun film. Yeah, and he talks about that. It was interesting, but I think the way Bruce Banner was done in this was very, um, very good. And I think Mark Ruffalo's entirely a thank for that. We get the iconic Hulk smash moment with Loki. Of course, of course, we love that. Um, there's loads of great moments. The Hulk has done really well in this. I think, especially just on the topic of the Hulk, the scene in the um, the airbase thing when everything sort of kicks off and Black Widow's sort of in the underdecks and like Mark Ruffalo sort of, you know, turns into yeah. the Hulk. There's a great, so I don't know what it is about that, but the CGI there looks really, really good. There's that shot where he's sort of smashing through these glass cabinets and so he like runs down a hallway, like running after Black Widow. And it looks genuinely brilliant. Like the, the way that was lit, um, and also that the CGI there, the way they managed to incorporate that and make it feel real was so good. Yeah. Also, the Hulk's like that throughout a lot of this, but especially when you compare it to the Incredible Hulk CGI. Well, I don't know. It's a huge step up. Well, yeah, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that they used uh, Mark Ruffalo, like they used motion capture for mm. his performance of the Hulk for this one, whereas I'm not too sure if they did that or if the technology was even around for 2008's Incredible yeah. Hulk. So obviously there was a whole new um, implementation of the actor's performance, which they could characterized within the CGI. Yeah, I think they do do more Which definitely shows. Even, even from this one, and you can kind of tell a little bit as well. Um, the, the model for Hulk, like the actual look of the guy looks different, and it looks more refined, it looks it looks like Mark Ruffalo, you know, it, it actually believe it. Um, I don't know, it, it, it just, it, it works really well, and, and like, the way they do that character, the payoffs they have with him is, is, is fantastic, in my opinion. Um, we obviously get a lot more with Hawkeye and Black Widow in this. As Finally, well. Hawkeye gets more screen time. Than just so th sort of this aiming. is the first proper like, 
feature he's in other than that little crane sequence in Thor, right? Yeah, literally. That's, yeah, that's insane. pretty funny. But like, you know, I, I, I like him in this. Yeah, he, he really, the scenes that he's in, obviously like Hawkeye gets a lot of flack for not really doing a lot, but and, you know, being I, played I, by Jeremy Renner. So I think I think the scenes that he's in are are great, and obviously there's that whole bit of him never missing a shot, and he's mm. shooting down Chitari fighters like it's any day. Like he, the scenes that he's in, he's he's really strong, and so I am looking forward to the new Hawkeye mm. series and actually getting for once him as the main focus. Because I don't feel like we've actually. I'm had looking that. forward to how how they handle that, because I think Hawkeye got a lot more development in the second Avengers film. Definitely. Um, but in this, you know, the problem I have with him in this is that he's brainwashed for half of it, so you don't really feel like I get to sort of get a good sense of the character until the final act and the final battle. But then by that point, it's too late because I've got to know all the other characters so well. I'm only really caring about them. He's just sort of support. Um. You know, he's got less character than some of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. And that's a bit annoying because you want him to be, I don't know, like impactful. You want him to have a, a good character, especially when he's one of the Avengers. Yeah. But I never really felt like Hawkeye was one of like the Avengers, only because of his lack of development across these films. No, it is, it is a shame. And it would have been interesting whether from the get-go in this film or even if he was integrated uh, more so in earlier films, um, you know, his relationship with Black Widow, because I feel like that's always mm. sort of hinted at with a few lines, but it's never really explored deeply. And that could have been much more of a connecting sort of transition to introduce the character. Obviously, we now know who Black Widow is from Iron Man 2. Yeah. And then to feature her friend and fighting partner Hawkeye in the Avengers... And showing more of their friendship would have been really good. But like you say, maybe that whole brainwashing element sort of detracted from that. I can't help but look back and feel that maybe like it would have been interesting to see them flip the Hawkeye and Black Widow introductions. So Hawkeye was like a main character in Iron Man 2, um, which would make more sense with the whole like whiplash thing with all the uh, robots. You know, he could just shoot them. Um and then with Thor, you could have someone who couldn't just shoot Thor, but you could actually have them fight. So you could have him and Black Widow actually fight. I feel like if they'd done it that way around, despite the fact that Iron Man 2's story wouldn't really work because of the whole, like... That would have definitely thing. made more use of their abilities, though. Definitely, yeah. And I, and I saw someone think that, and I'm like, I, I wonder why they didn't at least try and have a think about that. Because, yeah, I feel like they could. I feel like they very easily could have done something like that. Because then again, like, we've got, we know Black Widow quite a lot because of her inclusion in... Iron Man 2, but you couldn't do much with Hawkeye because the whole thing is that he never misses, yeah. but he never gets the chance to shoot because it's a bit too, almost a bit too gruesome in a way. Um, unless it's some sort of CGI robot or alien, it's too too gruesome to show. Um, but yeah, no, I'm not really sure. I um, the main the main characters other than that, obviously we've got Steve Rogers and uh, Tony Stark in this. Steve Rogers, who is now in the present day, I love. I do think, I'll probably put it out there now, I do think Captain America is my favourite uh, MCU character, just because, mm. as I sort of hinted at before, Winter Soldier, Civil War, my two favourite films overall. And also, I feel like throughout all of the films, he always seems to get given the most sort of conflict and interesting story arcs going on. Obviously, like, in The Avengers, mm. 
we have this character out of the Second World War, suddenly in the present day, mm. suddenly being enlisted into this mad <laughs> superhero squad. And then all of these sort of mm. feelings that he has to go through. But at the end of the day, he's there to, to do his thing and fight for his country. And obviously all of those emotional um, thoughts of being, you know, asleep in an ice cube have to be pushed back so he can do that. And I'm very happy that we explore more of that emotional weight in Winter Soldier. But yeah, I, f I find him a really interesting character in this. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's a... Uh, what I will say is I hate his costume. Yeah. The costume this is ass. Especially, I love the badass one from Winter Soldier. Especially whenever you go back to this one, it's always a bit like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, it's almost like spandex or something, isn't it? It's like, yeah. a, it's like a onesie he's wearing. Um, I, I totally agree with what you're saying there about Steve Rogers. I think he's a great character in this. And I really love the conflict between him and Tony Stark. I never liked that when I was younger, but I really appreciate it now. And the kind of people that they are especially with the context of where it goes in the future, you know, Definitely. with about, like, with Steve saying that Tony's never the kind of man to, you know, to lay his life down for what he believes in, and obviously that's exactly what he does in Endgame. Um, they agree. They certainly do. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it's, a, it's an interesting one. The, the characters in this are really well done. I, I love, again, Tony Stark's done brilliantly. Again, mostly due to Robert Downey Jr.'s performance. He's brilliant in this role. He's born to play it, and he does a fantastic job in this. Um, I definitely see this film as almost like an Iron Man film. Obviously, mm. like with Iron Man being the, the groundworks for the whole MCU, I feel yeah. like that's only sort of natural and that he does sort of play into being the, the linchpin in, in the Avengers films. But... Yeah, because obviously, definitely. like, we have Stark Tower become the Avengers Tower and him yeah. setting up. Yeah. Doesn't that open up with him setting up the energy source for, yeah. for the tower or like, the city? Like, he's the man with the money, you know. He's yeah. the man who, like, runs these things and runs these operations. And it, and it works really well. And I, and I love the way, again, they do his character in this. I love the, the confrontations, but also that it makes sense. I can't... It's, it, What's going on outside? Absolute racket. Tell someone's been shot. I thought we were in the Finchley Road, not Bloody Harrow again. Um, <laughs> I probably can't get you that You just doxed in. yourself. On the um, yeah, no, I think... Um, I love the way they do the characters in this. I think it's such an achievement of how they managed to get all these characters with very different conflicting interests and ideas and personalities and bring them all together and it work in the same continuity. This, at the time, they probably people probably watched this and were like, I can't... like. They can't do any better than this. They've, they've topped it. And then, you know, years to come, they have, like, Endgame and stuff. Which is why when people say, like, Endgame was brilliant, but they can't top that now, I'm like, you know what? I think they might try, though. Definitely. I think they're going to, like, Especially put it up there. Multiverse I'm the multiverse stuff excites up. me. Excites Definitely. me, man. The amount of stuff that Marvel owns is, is exciting. Um, but, like, we'll wait and see. I, I think this is, of its time, such an achievement. And if you look back and you think about the context of what it was like at the time... It's so impressive, so, so impressive that they managed to pull this off as well as they did. Um, I love the way it looks as well. It does, yeah. it does have that, I feel like Thor, Captain America and this, there's a lot of moments where it, it, you do get like a proto MCU sense to it. Like you were saying, almost like the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans where it does 
it, it still sort of holds on to that self-contained film look and you can mm. sort of tell that there's more practical on-location shooting, whereas now, obviously, it still looks good, but I feel like they rely more on sort of the CGI-created worlds on the on the soundstage to, to execute their location filming, whereas this, yeah. you can tell, oh, yeah, that's obviously a shot in New York, which they've edited in extras and yeah. everything, and yeah. it, it, it still has this big-scale sort of film filmic look to it and i'm not too sure if it was again I, I don't know if this is a fact or if it was one of the last films in the marvel universe which was still shot on film before they went over to digital i didn't know I can't any put my hand films. down on that but um there is definitely a sort of look to it which i feel is is lost in the more recent films mm. Definitely. I get that a lot, but that does tend to happen when you try and pump out four films a year. It's very like formulaic, and I think what I love about this is that this was like the event of 2012. This was the Marvel this film. This was that the year. event. No, I was watching the trailer for it before the podcast, and the dramaticness and the music, it's very. This is the 2012 big film blockbuster that you yeah. need to see. Whereas yeah. now, I feel like. Everyone so, already knows what the MCU is, so they just lean into the nostalgia mm. and the music, like, you know, the Infinity War trailers or whatever, and they just use the Avengers music and mm. look at all these characters who we know and love. Whereas for the trailer for the Avengers 2012, it's very much like slow motion people running away from fires in New York City, and you're like, <laughs> what's going on? Like, weird chaos happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, like, Nick Fury's like, you know the idea blah 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 and it's like whoa what these heroes are coming together like it's very like yeah, you said yeah. action-packed blockbuster you need to see this film and i quite like that i get that vibe from this this is sort of phase one so separate from the rest of the universe the second you move into phase two with iron man three there's it feels different straight away there's a different vibe to it there's a different budget to it there's a different team behind it and that's when it starts to get more formulaic i don't mind it but it is it does shift and I think Avengers and Phase 1 and obviously to this, these sort of review episodes so far we've done uh, on this podcast, we've done all the Phase 1 um, films now. So to really summarise that up, I think it's, it is a, a brilliant achievement. And I love the fact that it's packaged so well. It's like, if the rest of the MCU didn't happen, that would still be praised as like a nice little collection of films, like a little film Definitely. franchise that worked really well and didn't go anywhere, but just worked for what it was. Well, by the Avengers, how many films had they already done? They'd already done Iron Man 1, they 2. I'm going to have to count it. Like, Thor. Five. Captain America. So, yeah. So, they'd already had a big... Mm. You know, that's already, like, a big achievement. Yeah. To have a film continuity by, shared universe go the, that far. By the time Avengers came out, they had as many films at that time as Star Wars had. There you go. And that was within the course of, what, five years? Yeah. Less than that? So, so impressive. And it's... Yeah, you know, you know, mad respect to them for, for pulling it off and Avengers is a great way to end it on. I think in comparison, Avengers doesn't like, isn't my all-time favourite. The, the vibe of it, because it's dated, I think, now, and because it's not as coherent with the future style, it almost has a weird sort of... Um, in, in a sort of weird way, this sounds a bit odd, but it kind of terms you'll understand like a Doctor Who sense, where it's like, it, it, when there's such a big continuity... For me, it's easier for it all just to be the same yeah. and feel the same. Yeah. When it when it starts, to feel, you know, like this is feels so separate that it's it like it's very different now. Yeah. No, I, I love totally, it. I it's... totally get that. 
It, it, well, yeah. No, it is interesting, though, how it it also, like you said, it, it was, you know, a big moment film, but it also opened up the doors for the future films and, you know, introduced us to even more space as a threat. And obviously mm. that does mm. a lot to Tony Stark's character. It's the first the time we've been to space, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, the way it sets up this future style and themes of alien invasions is is very interesting definitely 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 and i i i think it's a it's a fascinating film that really it's i think it's almost shocked in itself that it managed to pull it off in a weird way is that there's so much there with like the shatari army and even bringing thanos into it that early on such a ballsy move but it paid off it worked got people excited and it ended up you know building towards one of the biggest like cinematic events in history which is insane to think but yeah, no, I think this film has a lot of achievements um, and, you know, it, it has to be respected for that a little bit. I think it's it's solid. I find it really interesting as well um, when I was watching these films as they were coming out, I always felt as though S.H.I.E.L.D. was sort of there and very quick, quickly it wasn't with, mm. you know, the whole Hydra scenario in Winter Soldier and S.H.I.E.L.D. sort of being disbanded. It's quite interesting going back to this film where S.H.I.E.L.D. is very much the centre of the film and Nick yeah, Fury is yeah, obviously yeah. there and it's, you know, it's out there. It's not, you know, obviously Nick Fury and the S.H.I.E.L.D. elements and now S.W.O.R.D. It almost feels it went a bit more like underground, especially mm. in Age of Ultron. Yeah. Nick Fury just shows up in that barn, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Whereas in this, it's very much like, we've got all these big logos, here's S.H.I.E.L.D., we've got these big yeah. heli carriers, we're yeah, here to no. bring the Avengers together. And yeah, I always thought that that went away very quickly. Um, what What do you think of that? Do you feel like S.H.I.E.L.D. should have stuck around a bit longer before they I, hit, I'm not hit them huge, away? I'm not a huge S.H.I.E.L.D. fan. I think okay. that's one thing. I never really watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it was always that kind of aesthetic that I wasn't too keen on with the MCU. The kind that I kind of like is the, the more flashy, out there kind of stuff. You know, I love the Spider-Man films, but like Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy. When it really takes risks, the MCU, and like Infinity War and Endgame, it's like, I, I love those for what they are. There's the superheroes. It's like, there comes a point where it's like, they are just heroes. And I feel like with this, it's like, they're just kind of employed by S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Which I don't mind, but I'm kind of happy that they kind of disbanded when they did. And even though they still exist to some capacity in the MCU now, it's not as, it's not the same vibe or aesthetic that it, that it used to be. Because um, even I think at the time when I'm looking at this, I like it. But I, I look back and think this, even this, even the 2012, this feels a bit dated. Yeah. Um, you look back at like stuff at the time, it's like 2012 was also the, the year that The Dark Knight Rises came out. Yeah. Like, the, the style and aesthetic is obviously very different, but with S.H.I.E.L.D. it's like this sort of big US military government kind of thing. It's like, yeah, it's cool, but I feel like I've seen so much of that in the 90s that I'm like, I'm kind of happy at that point when it, in Winter Soldier, when it kind of got disbanded a little bit. Well, it's quite, it's interesting you bring up, obviously, Dark Knight Rise as well, and I think, um, as mentioned before, you may have, you did you did talk about this in, in part one of your MCU podcast, mm. but um, obviously the way in which, you know, the sort of style at the time for the superhero films was to try and ground them as much as possible mm -hmm. in a real world, and it would be interesting to think about, like, is, is S.H.I.E.L.D. incorporated within the Avengers as, like, a big player to sort of help ground these heroes in the maybe, real world with the sort of governmentalness to it? I know, but, obviously, it's adapted from 
from the comic books where they're a big presence, but, but yeah, I think what, you're what right, would it though. have been like without S.H.I.E.L.D.? Would that have been more difficult to sort of bring these characters down to Earth? You kind of had to have that, and it definitely would have struggled to do that, but I think for me, especially with the MCU, like where I start to really love it is where it starts to get a bit more spacey and a bit weird and all that sort of thing, which is why like the multiverse stuff, I'm all over it. I love that stuff. Do anything. And the I, I, I thing is, I want to be critical about it, but... Honestly, you throw in Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, I'm I'm there. I'm at, like I'm there on opening night. I don't care. I'm watching it. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. It it, it does entice me a lot more. And Kang the Conqueror already very interesting stuff. Like, but we go back to here. It's like I like it. I like the film. But the one thing that really drags on me is this sort of shield, that realistic gritty element, which just doesn't work for me. Feels like and, they're holding back on the comic book elements which it now feels more free to express yeah. especially like the early era of the mcu really held back on the comic book accurate costumes as well um obviously now like um scarlet witch has only just got her like proper yeah that's kind of mad isn't it yeah considering she's been in since phase two um and there's the same with a few of them there's the same like with a, a few characters to like it took a while to really get them to like a proper comic booky feeling like outfit like obviously Iron Man was there like straight away will we ever Cap- see Hawkeye purple look exactly like <laughs> that um, I'm trying to think what else there is but there's, there's other scenarios and even like but with the newer MCU they feel a lot more brave to just jump in with more comic book accurate costumes despite how that might look so for example um, like Falcon and Winter Soldier like having the Falcon Captain America that's quite an out there look it's quite bright and uh, vibrant and it works but they wouldn't have taken that risk in 2012 with the original Avengers, you know what I mean? Yet they did take the risk on some sort of onesie look. <laughs> Back um, to the onesie look. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about Avengers before we move on to some hot takes? Well, and, two, uh, two interesting facts? things. Yeah. Not, I don't know if it was interesting, but maybe just to highlight, obviously, how much of like a momentous film this was. I remember going to a new secondary school... Um, it must have been obviously like I was going into year eight. This was like 2012, 2013. Mm. There was this one English teacher who was always playing this film to his students. Oh I was walking past his classroom like every day when he'd have like the different classes in and he was always showing them the Avengers. Mm. And yeah, if, obviously if that teacher felt like it was good enough to show to every class, then it must have been a big film. Also... <laughs> The cinematographer, Seamus McGarvey, is a alumni from our university. I don't know oh, really? if that's public knowledge or <laughs> he goes to. But um, yeah, Seamus McGarvey went to our uni, which is pretty cool. And he's also back for Spider-Man... No Way Home. No Way Home. Interesting. So interesting. there you go. That is interesting. <laughs> I quite like that. That's a little really interesting fun facts. And on the top of fun facts, we've got some people to try and give us some fun facts and hot takes. I don't know what's going to be here. I haven't read these. They could be total rubbish. Um, but it's a mix between hot takes and fun facts. We get to react to people's hot takes um, and also if we know their fun facts. So, uh, any of Jacob Stockdale says, they're all bland. Difficult for me to rewatch. Some good moments in Avengers, but the other two I don't particularly enjoy that much at all. And that's fair enough. Yeah, I definitely feel like, I feel like we definitely focus more on the redeeming elements of these films but I feel like we were sort of getting at that they do feel sort of disconnected from the later films and definitely 
overall looking back at them they were of their time yeah definitely i think it's a fair point i think i can understand because it's such a different vibe and aesthetic and i think that will be a lot of the cases with these hot takes is that because they're so different they are a bit like well just not watch those ones you know but what you've mean? still got to admire what they did i do them, I, I think we wouldn't bad. be where we are now and i think they're brilliant for what they do uh we've got another comment here from kit who says uh the avengers isn't worth watching anymore <laughs> It was Ooh. special at the time, but with each phase of the MCU building on the last and growing, phase one has become lacklustre by comparison. Though unlike uh, the other films, the Avengers doesn't have the benefit of being an origin story. That's true. That's true. So it's kind of a fair, it's a very fair point, actually, because it can't rely on being an origin, but at the same time... But I would argue, in a weird way, and a bit of a bounce back to that, I would argue it is an origin story of the Avengers. There you go. It's an origin story for that, like, group. If, you, if you're going to credit the origin story for Iron Man, and, or if you're going to discredit one from phase one, it would be Iron Man 2. Because that's not an origin story. And it's that like is dog shit. Um, but the rest of them are origins. And this is a sort of, it, it is a milestone. It is good. But I can understand why you'd say you probably wouldn't want to watch it anymore. As yeah. horrible as that feels, because it is a good film. Yeah, I I don't I don't feel like you should dismiss it as a film because mm. yeah, with you know, it does it does set up a lot of groundwork for the future films, especially, you know, like you mentioned the sort of relationship between Stark and and Captain America and yeah. even even someone like Hawkeye who perhaps doesn't get enough screen time, it still gives more to that character which we are now only just going back to exploring more in depth with their own yeah. solo shows so Fair there's enough. a lot of elements that you know are still sort of uh hinted back to and and mentioned in the new films today yeah we're getting a lot of similar sort of things jh says oh, is everyone avengers, hating on these? avengers is not the best marvel movie and never was it's just exciting to see all the characters together the story is very convenient and quite nonsensical and visually is nothing special i do love it but it's not the cinematic masterpiece many claim it to be. I probably agree with that, to be honest. I don't think it's like a masterpiece. I think it's a solid film and it was an achievement for the time. But especially now with Endgame and Infinity War, looking back on it, it's like, it's hard to this is a cinematic masterpiece. Well, yeah, no, I agree with that. I don't agree with the never was, though, because obviously at the yeah, time it was. Yeah, that's true, that's true. But yeah, no, fair, fair dues, fair um, dues. Silver says, love them all. As true to the feel of the comics as you could get, in my opinion, and gave a huge boost to some of the actors' careers back then. Very That's true. very true, actually. Iron Man for Robert Downey Jr., especially. Obviously, Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston being picked up for um, Thor. And I don't really know too much about Chris Evans' career at the time, but it probably was a step up from the Fantastic Four films. So, <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. Uh, Ultimate 13th says, Avengers is actually a very underrated film. People remember the ending and the big battle, but never the other moments, like when Thor first meets Tony and Cap. Brilliant. Doth mother know you weareth her drapes? Is the quote they've used there to highlight <laughs> how much they love that scene. And I think I would totally agree. There's some great jokes, and it mostly comes from Tony Stark, I'd say. Yeah. Um, and obviously, there's that natural comedy with Thor being that, you know, classical Asgardian character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort yeah, of definitely. doesn't quite definitely. fit, and we sort of laugh at that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jacob says... I could happily never watch Thor or First Avenger ever again. <laughs> Fair enough. <clears throat> Fair enough. Spooky Lukey says, I prefer them all to their sequels. 
Ooh, that is a hot take. That is a hot take that for is a hot Captain take. America. I don't know if it's a hot take for Avengers or Thor, because both of their sequels are a bit... Yeah. Well, with but Thor, I don't know. I feel like Ragnarok, some people love it, some people hate it. Mm. So I guess fair enough. With Captain America, I, like I said, I've already said already, two and three are some of my favourite MCU films all time. So that does hurt me a little bit inside. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Avengers films, fair enough. I guess like... Like we were talking about as well, the later films do get bigger, 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 much bigger scale. So I guess if you do prefer that more homed-in scale, then the original Avengers is a nice balance between the ensemble but still being focused. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, we've actually got a fun fact here, which I, I did know about this, but I'd be interested to see if you knew this. You probably did. Um, Aidan Gray talking about how Tom Hiddleston originally auditioned for Thor. Oh, yeah. But they thought he suited Loki better, and what a brilliant decision that was. There's that lovely test footage of him with the wig, with it's like a fan insane, blowing at him. It? It's so weird. I've seen it online, but it's. I'm glad they made the right decision, I think. There. I'm really happy that, again, Loki's had more, and Tom Hiddleston has had more room to play with that character and develop it with, yeah. with the solo series. And even like beyond that, like with Ragnarok and stuff, I feel like he's had a lot of say in the character and how that's gone about was he an executive producer on the uh, loki show I'm not uh, sure. it I wouldn't feel, surprise me i feel like he might have been or something, something like that where he has like some sort of high up involvement in the um, behind the scenes of it um do, do, do captain america the first avenger is the follow-up for the rocketeer that i've always wanted to see yeah rocketeer love <laughs> um for uh andreas says thor one is the most well-written Thor has ever been as a character. Oh, interesting. What do you think about that? Because um, hmm. I don't know if I'd say he's well-written. I'd say he's probably written quite well as like a godlike figure. As in later films, he is more just like a superhero. Yeah, no, I definitely feel like... I don't know, I guess, I guess, like I was saying, I feel like Ragnarok with the fans is quite um, hit and miss for some people. I personally really like that characterization of Thor, and so yeah. I would have to say that I do like Taika Waititi's version, because although there are a lot of comedy quips in it, which, mm. you know, isn't for everyone, there's still that whole, you know, deeper characterization of him sort of tuning into his power and not relying on to the you know physical element of the hammer and actually you know believing in himself to channel the yeah. power which i really liked um but yeah i guess for that original screen portrayal this is probably the most well written mm. um and then it obviously changes a lot as it the depends on what on. you mean by well written though by well written do you mean more of a thing where it's like the character is actually written well or it's closer to how like they should be you know i mean like i don't know i think i prefer the characterization of the thor later on okay it's yeah, a more yeah. comedy character yeah however i can understand what people would prefer the i guess like for the serious portrayal consistently yeah. serious portrayal then yeah perhaps the first thor yeah does that better um and finally we got from sam marshall uh, in thor chris hemsworth had to dye his eyebrows blonde which obviously was a mistake and followed by Jamie Slough, who said, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall during the Hemsworth eyebrow discussion that the producers had. I can totally agree with that. And I think it's a lovely <laughs> note and mental image to end on. Um, that's basically the whole thing. We've been going for quite a while. 
Um, before we wrap up, is there anything you want to promote? Um, you know, like social media pages or anything? Yeah. Go for it. This is... Woo. Uh, so you can follow my film work and photography on my Instagram, which is Ben underscore Vasher. Wait, I, I actually need to check my own Instagram <laughs> handle. You can tell that I've not plugged this. Yeah. It is Ben underscore Vasher. So Ben underscore Vasher, and that is a V-A-C-H-E-R. Just um, how it's spelled in the title of this uh, podcast. <laughs> And I upload onto YouTube like once a year, but yeah, it'll be it'll be on the Instagram. But stories from the mouth, if you're interested in that, maybe more film videos in the future. Who knows? There we go. Nice little hint of things to come. And I've oh, I messed that up. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Spill Your Beans Pod, um, which is also linked on the page as per usual, and my own Twitter and Instagram handles at GBShade. Um, we'll see you all next week. I'm not really sure what the episode is. I think it might be The Lost Daughter, but I'm not 100% sure. So check back in a week, check the Twitter, whatever, and yeah, we'll be promoting that very soon. So, Thanks for having me, everyone. Yeah. Thanks for being on, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye.